It's great to be here worshiping with you, and uh, man, it's gorgeous weather out there, isn't it? And uh, spring is finally here in a gorgeous way. So uh, great to have you guys in here. Great to be worshiping with you. We are in a series uh, called uh, The Great I Am, not just the I Am, The Great I Am, and uh, Jesus Christ in all of his awesomeness. And we're walking through uh, the Gospel of John, looking at some different spots where he introduces the details of himself, of who he is. And as we look at each of those, we have a job to do. Uh, Lord, teach me who you are. And Lord, how should I respond to that? Lord, teach me who you are. And Lord, how should I respond to that? And that's what we've been walking through starting from Easter Sunday. Just a few that we've learned already. The great I am. Uh, That was Easter Sunday as we uh, had Jesus introduce himself as not just a person, but the great I am himself. And then we did the uh, bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. And uh, he brings hope and he brings eternal life in him. And uh, then we looked at him last week as the door. And uh, you cannot enter in to eternal life except through Jesus Christ. He is the door alone. And uh, this week we're looking at him as he declares, I am the good shepherd. It's actually attached to the same passage, John chapter 10. So turn with me, if you will, to John 10, starting in verse 11. John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. And we're looking at Jesus as the good shepherd. So remember, this is attached to the prior passage. I just thought it'd be good for us to have a little bit of a reminder of where we were at. So let's just throw an image back up here from last week that we used. And... um, This is the sheepfold. Remember we talked a little bit about this. If you weren't here with us last week, you can read verses 1 through 10 uh, either now or on your own time and gather a little bit. But right away in the first verse or two, he starts talking about this sheepfold. It's what the shepherds built up. They built these walls out of rocks. They would sometimes build them uh, out a ways away from the city where the sheep were going to be grazing and buy some water. They may even have built some of them closer to the city where they would keep them if they went into the city to stay for the night. And uh, these sheepfolds were used to protect the sheep. The shepherds were doing a lot of the caring. And in fact, Jesus, in the first part of the metaphor, looking at the sheepfold, says, I am the door. And you can see from the picture in the middle there how the shepherd is sitting in the doorway. The shepherd is the one who allows them to go in and out. The shepherd becomes the door. This week, we're going to transition now as he's talking about this metaphor to a little bit more of the shepherd language than the sheepfold language. That's where we've come from, so that's where we're going to. And uh, so the first point here, Jesus is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for his sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for his sheep. And... uh, Starts out in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus talking. And uh, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So let's hold right there and we'll just kind of walk back through this. And again, Jesus is the shepherd. He starts out here, he says, I am the good shepherd. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, I am a shepherd. He doesn't say, everybody say, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm a shepherd. He doesn't say, I am the shepherd. He doesn't say, everybody say, he doesn't say that. 
He says, I am the good shepherd. There is one, and he is good. And we need to know this word good here. It's, it's not the word that we would use for good, maybe. It's, there's a several words in the original language, and you can use the word good that means like just kind of in your soul, you think well, you're moral, you're aligned with God in that regard. And, and it's not that, it's more than that. It's that, but it means also that it spills out and is evident to those around you. Good. A goodness that shows externally. Good. Okay, he's using that word. And so this is a big deal. I am the good shepherd. And by the word he chose, it's like, and it'll be evident. Right? So I am the good shepherd. By the way, let me give you a little detail about why or how I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life. For the sheep. You want to know how my goodness shows? Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Lay it down. Now, we know now what that means as we look back at Jesus Christ and his willingness to go to the cross. As his listeners were hearing this, they would have heard more of the loose, loose metaphor to the shepherd and how he's just very caring for his sheep, very sacrificial. And, but we know how much that cost him. And in the moment, we get to read into this and see into this the depth of what Christ was saying. I lay down my life for you. Jesus Christ, he loves you. And he lays his life down as the good shepherd. He's your king He's also laying down his life and offering shepherding. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, I just wanted to bring out something really important here. When you see the word life in the New Testament, when you see the word life, you really do want to dig into it just a little bit, okay? There's three different Greek words that can come to the same English word life. So our English is a little bit narrow, all right? There's three different Greek words. So let's make sure we talk through these for a second here. The first word is the word bios. And uh, you probably have heard that, right? Biological, right? Biology. And so we, it's about this life that is the physical, tangible, the cells and the blood. and the, It's the physical of life. Uh, when they use it metaphorically, it starts to mean like the physical stuff around us, like the wealth or the possessions, but it, it means the physical of life, okay? The bias, the biology of it all. That's one word. That's not this word that Christ used, all right? And there's another word. There's a word suke, like you've heard that one too in a way, right? Psychology, right? You've heard that. And so what it means is actually the life of me, that's why they use the word life, but it means my desires and my wants and my will and my feelings and my thinking and like the whole of me. Sometimes it's also translated soul, okay? And so that word suke means soul as well. So there's the physical life, there's the soul life, if you will, and that speaks to my life and desires here on earth, my desires here as I'm working and moving with the talents and gifts that God has given, and what am I doing in this place? What am I desiring and wanting? There's that life, and then there's the last word, uh, zoe, and that means eternal life. In fact, it often comes with the word eternal attached to it, eternal life, 
Okay, so there are three very different ones. One is this very tangible, physical life. One is this kind of my desires and wants and feelings and thinkings and the whole of me as I walk this place life. And then there's eternal life. Christ says, I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for you. Which one? He's saying the suke. I lay down my desires and my feelings and my wants and the whole of me. In fact, we see that as he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he says, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done, right? He's laying down his very wants and desires before God the Father and saying, you're in charge. And he lays himself down to the point where it will even cost sacrifice for him his whole of the physical life. And he's handing over himself. And this is a huge deal. And uh, if you don't, if you're not careful, we can end up starting to see the word life, and often when we read it, because we get into Christian ease mode, you know what I mean, where you start talking church language, and uh, you know you are, and you start talking it, and we start saying certain words, and you say the word life, and we're like, life, oh yeah, life versus death, like, you know, heaven and hell, like eternal, and, and all of a sudden, we're starting to translate across, be careful, make sure you know which word is talked about. In fact, here he says, I lay down my desires and wants. He's not laying down the eternal life. Everybody say it's not that. Christ is not laying down his zoe. In fact, it says in scripture that his zoe, his eternal life in John 1, his life is the light of the world. He will never lay that down. His eternal life is the essence of God in him. In fact, he takes his eternal life and he shares it out with us that we might have this eternal life. That's a huge deal. He does not set that down. It's the essence of him. But what he does set down is his very desires in this world before God the Father. That's what he's doing, okay? Massive deal. A couple other verses just to relate to this. John three thirty six. He who believes in the Son has life. John three thirty six. He who believes in the Son has zoe, eternal life. We're sharing with Jesus Christ in that eternal life, okay? So it's a big deal which life is used. Uh, this is a great one for a teaching on the difference of the words. John 12, 25, you might want to write it down. John 12, 25, uh, it says, I'll read it fast and then we'll go back and walk it through. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life, life, life life. And when we read it, we're like, oh, that's super confusing. I'm really not sure what I get out of this passage. And, right? But when we actually understand what the Greek words are, it actually makes a big difference. It says, whoever loves his suke, right? So we're starting to talk about this desires, this wants, the what I get, right? Whoever loves his desires, his life, his suke, it loses it. And there's an eternity in hand and be careful if we keep running and trying to grab for the me personally and there's eternal cost in that whoever loves his suke his here and now his life his desires his wants loses it and whoever hates his suke now what he means by hates right we have to be careful with that word but it's like the big hyperbolic the big expressive word like you're putting it last you're not treating your desires and wants as the most important thing in the world you're setting that down and lifting up what God the Father wants. Whoever hates his suke, right, there's a gaining of it. 
In fact, it says, we'll keep it for eternal Zoe. Whoever loves his suke loses it. Whoever hates or lays down his suke gains Zoe. You hearing it? And that is such a huge difference, isn't it? All of a sudden, it starts to make some sense. The word life starts jumping off the page. We could even put the temporal statement in it. Whoever loves his temporary life here on earth loses it. Whoever hates his temporary life here on earth puts it down, sets it down, and lifts up God the Father, gains eternal life. Notice how in the English we have to put words in front of it for it to start to make sense. Man, just make sure you get this. The depth of what he's saying is he is laying down his very desires and wants and wills as a person and as a being and saying, I am sacrificially going to the mat for them. This is not what's best for me. This is what's best for them. Sacrifice. And uh, everybody say, that's the good shepherd. That's the good shepherd, man. Him for me. And uh, may we grasp that. All right, just a little teach on that word. I thought it was a big deal as you go through this. If you see the word life, you can often get confused, and all of a sudden, you will get some bad theology rolling uh, if you're not sure of the difference. So make sure you can look that up. If you don't know how, we can certainly help you to uh, get uh, some insight to that. There's websites out there that are super easy to use. I did not plan on saying this, and I'm just going to say it anyway now, so here we go. So uh, BibleHub.com. Have you ever been there? BibleHub.com, super helpful website, and uh, you can actually look up words and see what original words are underneath the English words. It's very helpful. And uh, so if you're looking for a cheap, easy tool, it's on the internet, just type in BibleHub.com and uh, go there and you can actually type in the verse and be checking some things out. And if it's got the word life, you may want to go there and check it out and see which one, all right? Huge deal. He lays down his suke that we might have zoe. Praise be to God. All right, that was a nice little teaching moment, huh? Let's get back into the passage. Here we go. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, please notice that, not a shepherd. He was the hired hand. He who gets paid to do a gig and couldn't care less about the sheep, right? He who's just executing a job for some coin. And uh, man, we can work a job where we actually are beginning to take ownership in what's going on, and we can work a job where we are there just to make the money. And uh, he's like, hey, just so you know, a hired hand, this is a guy who's there just for the coin of it. And uh, how do you know? Well, because when a little bit of trouble comes, the boy bolts. That's how you know. And uh, he's like, hey, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, in other words, he's not caring for the sheep, he's not owning them, who does not own the sheep, he says right after it, these are not my possessions. I'm helping a guy out. He hired me to go do this thing, and I'm going to see how it goes. And if it goes a little poorly, I'm skating from there, you know? But I'm here for a little bit of coin. Let's see how this helps me as he now picks up his life, his suke, and makes it much about him, right? And he's like the hired hand. Yeah, it's all about him and his money and his wallet. And he doesn't own the sheep. And it shows. He sees the wolf coming. Have you ever seen a wolf coming? Have you? Like we, 
we deer hunt up north, northwest Illinois. My dad's got some property right on the uh, border up there near Wisconsin, just under Galena. And uh, there are wolves that have made their way down from Wisconsin into the northern part of Illinois now. And uh, like last year, we were out deer hunting, and I walked through a creek bottom. And as I stopped, dude, there was a wolf print, like huge. And then you're like, okay. (laughs) We're not deer hunting anymore, man. Right? And uh, I'm just telling you, they're big. They are big, big animals, and they move in packs, and they have a danger to them. And uh, yeah, the wolf, he didn't choose some small little element. He chose a, definitely a dangerous element. And he's like, hey, when he saw the wolf coming, all I saw was a print, and I was locking and loading. When he saw the wolf coming, he left the sheep, and he fled. And uh, we don't really know what that looks like. All we know is there's like stage left for him, right? I'm sure he did something like, get out of here! And then the wolf doesn't do anything, and then you're like, gone. Me first. And if the sheep follow, great for them. And if they don't, oh, well, I am booking it right now. And uh, he sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep and flees leaving everything behind, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The wolf devours. The wolf eats up for self. The wolf is there to help self. And uh, there is an eating and a scattering. The sheep go all over the place. Getting them back is tough. They're devouring and eating and living off of, and uh, the wolf is about destruction. It is interesting that the same word wolf is often used of people that come into uh, the church setting and are looking to kill and destroy for self. Uh, Get name up in lights, get others to follow them, get attention so it feels good. And and my simple challenge to you, if you're coming into this place and it is all about you, hear me, you will meet with shepherding. You will meet with shepherding. And I love working with our elders And I love working with our pastoral staff, and we take it for real. And we're excited to be a part of the place, and we're excited to see what God's going to do. And uh, and I'm just telling you, this is a huge call-out. And uh, may we follow our good shepherd as we model some of that shepherding ourselves. And all of God's people said, uh, all right. He says that uh, this wolf is coming to snatch and to scatter uh, he, that is the hired hand, flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. And uh, he makes a full statement of why. Why would this guy flee? Doesn't he have integrity? What's wrong with him? And uh, well, what's wrong with him is he doesn't care. That's what's wrong. And uh, good shepherding always starts with caring. Jesus Christ says, I am the good shepherd. He has the ultimate of care for you. Okay, the ultimate of care for you. And, uh, this is our God displaying for us who he is and how he's at work and uh, the opposite of what it looks like. So just imagine there's a shepherd sitting on a rock and his sheep are all over the field in front of him. And they're chewing the grass and some of them are even at a little bit of the water on the side there. And he's just enjoying the sun and he's sitting there. 
And all of a sudden, he notices across the field, he can see a bush moving. There's something up with that, and it doesn't look right. He's like, oh, what was that? He starts looking a little closer, and the bush is moving more. And all of a sudden, right through the middle of the bush, this wolf just bursts out, hits the ground on a full tilt. True shepherd. He grabs his staff. He grabs a rock sitting next to him that's fist size, and he starts running. Dead run at him. Dead run at him. He is running right at the wolf, and he is screaming out. And the sheep are beginning to scatter from his voice as he runs to the place where he is now in between. And as he gets between, he stops and he raises up the staff and the rock and he starts screaming at him, get out of here, come on, bring it. You want some of this, come on. And that wolf just keeps running full tilt. He is ready with all he's got to bring the swing, to bring the smack of the rock and put something on that boy to bring some hurt. Now imagine Jesus Christ running into the middle for us. And he's coming in between us and death and sin itself. He is coming in between the two. And as he gets into the position, he literally drops everything and takes the full-on attack himself. Every whipping he took, every nail he took, every breaking of the flesh, every blood moment that was splattered, everything for us, the good shepherd. He ran to the spot and he went for us because he's the good shepherd and he cares with all he's got. And all of God's people said, man, we got to get that with all we have. There's times where we get into too much church ease and we get used to saying Jesus died on the cross. He went where he didn't need to go. He laid down what he didn't need to have to lay down. And he did it for us in protection and provision. Praise be to God. Simple question. Jesus is the good shepherd. Him for me. Are you trusting and seeing him as the one that provides life, not death? Are you getting that he is your good shepherd? Are you recognizing his sacrifice? And maybe this week, like never before, is the week for you to grasp him running to death for me. Him for me. Make sure that Jesus is seen as the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for you. Number two, Jesus is the good shepherd. He seeks to have personal and real relationship with all who believe. Jesus is the good shepherd. He seeks to have a personal and real relationship with all who believe. And uh, he starts out again, I am the good shepherd. And uh, who is the good shepherd? Bigger. Who is the good shepherd? Man, we better get that square. There is one. The, the good shepherd, and his name is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, saying this. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know 
me deep personal relationship. Man, it isn't some distant thing where Christ has done something and someday maybe I'll get it and I never really get a sense to know him or understand him or have him understand me. Everybody say, it's not that. It's not that. It is deep, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Man, this is Jesus Christ for us. And uh, he wants a deep, passionate power relationship where he knows every strength and every weakness, where he understands every inclination of your soul, and he's going after that with you. Um, Here's the catch. He knows that. Do you know him, though? See, all too often we're like, great, you can be God and know everything. I'm down here and I'll do my thing. No, Lord, may you be my good shepherd. Now we're taking it from the good shepherd my good shepherd. Lord, may I know you personally and deeply and powerfully. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And uh, Well, yeah, but what level? I mean, to what level are we really going to know him, you know? How can you really know Jesus Christ? He says, just as my father knows me and I know the father, I'm not sure we will ever be able to mine deep enough on that verse. How deep can you know Jesus Christ as much as God the Father knows God the Son? Just as God the Father knows God the Son, so I will know you and you will know me. And uh, I think it's fair for every one of us in this room to say, I got some more uh, work I can do in that area. (laughs) There's some knowing of Jesus Christ I need to get after. And... uh, Lord, you are saying that I literally can know you as God the Father knows God the Son? Are you kidding me? The intensity and perfection of that unity, and that's what he's calling us to. And uh, it's not that we might wander around on our own, drifting about in this world, making it all about me for the few years we live on this earth, and then spending eternity knowing him. Everybody say, not that. It's not that. It's that we right here might begin to know him more and more and more and more and more. Lord, may I get to know the depths of your passion and the unbelievable and incomparable nature to your power. Lord, may you rock me with who you are. I'm ready to meet you, and I'm ready to meet you in a powerful way right now. By the way, that is not a bad prayer when you're starting out every moment you open the word. Lord, I am ready to be blown away with who you are. Show me your greatness. I am ready to know you more than I knew you five minutes ago. Teach me. Teach me. And uh, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. That's going to be a really important phrase here. And I laid down my life for the sheep. It sounds like it's completely unrelated. Like, hey, I know him. He knows me. Oh, yeah, and I'm laying down my life. Like, how is that related? And uh, here's the deal. God the Father, passionate about this sacrificial love and reaching out for creation, for you and for me. 
God the Father passionate about it, and God the Son passionate about it, and the two of them cooperating together in that passion and focus. And uh, we now see it come to the next phrase. Not only does he lay down his life for the sheep, he says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now, he's talking to a bunch of Jewish people. And he's like, hey, just so you know, there's other sheep in another fold. And it's not just you. And uh, who's he talking about? He's talking about you and me. He's talking about Gentiles. He's like, there's Jews, but there's also Gentiles. And he's like, I have other sheep than you. And I guarantee you their facial expression went something like this. What? Who? Like, what are you talking about, man? We're all about the Jews. And like, there is a very confused understanding of how the Gentiles are going to be blessed. They know he is. Abraham was promised somehow all Gentiles will be also included. Somehow every nation will be a part of the Abrahamic blessing. They don't get it, but somehow going to be true. They're not sure how. And Christ is like, just so you know, dude, I got other sheep. I got another flock. And, uh, there's some things that are going to be true about them. And, and he's talking about the Gentile. Everybody just say, this is us. He's like, I got another flock. And you're like, hey, I'm in Scripture. And uh, this is us, man. And uh, Not of this fold. I must bring them also. And I remember back in John 6 when he talked about being the bread of life. And he said, those the Father draws, I will not lose. Right? And he's like, hey, man, I have a flock There are going to be some Gentiles, some people from other nations, tribes, and tongues, and they are going to be believing in me, and I will not lose them. I will not lose them. And uh, they will listen to my voice, the true uh, echo of the shepherd and his sheep, as we looked at last week, right? The sheep truly following uh, the voice of the shepherd they know. And he says, here's the end result. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And a universal sign for unity is oneness, right? One. One flock, one shepherd. Neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free. In Christ we are all. In Christ we are all. We are all one, man. Unity. There is unity in Christ. And those that bring disunity must deal with this. That is the wolf. That is not what he's about. He is bringing us together and he is making us one where we worship him as one. One voice as the tongues and tribes and nations cry out the greatness of the one good shepherd, Jesus Christ, and the one flock that exists. And this shepherd is rallying his sheep together and we get to be a part of that. If you trust Jesus as your savior, you get to be a part of that. And... um, All right, he says, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. For this reason, the Father loves me that I lay down my life that I might take it up again. And uh, I just want to tell you, I wrestled with this verse for a long time this week. And uh, here's what it kind of says. The Father loves the Son because. Hmm. See, we're used to God is love. And so God loves, right? But the Father loves the Son because is what's said here. We have to be really careful, though. If we read what's next and say, so Jesus did some actions and then the Father started loving him, you are implying then at some point the Father wasn't loving the Son. 
And then when the son did something, now he starts loving him. And that, everybody say that's not what it means. It doesn't mean he didn't love and now he loves. It means he's always been loving him and he's continuing to love him. There is a oneness between father and son. And as the father is desiring to reach down into our lives and rock our world with who he is and bring sacrifice and forgiveness, as the father is desiring that, so is the son. And as the father is desiring to bring that to bear, so is the son. And the son is willing to even be that sacrifice. And there's a oneness between the two of them as they agree on the plan going forward for a love being spread out into this world. Man, we better grasp this. The father has always loved the son. Everybody say always. Always loved the son and always will. And there's a oneness between the two of them. And where there is love, there is obedience. And where there is an obedience and a love and a togetherness on the plan, there is deep unity. And he's like, just so you know, yeah, the Father loves me and I'm hooked up with him and there's deep obedience going on. There is a oneness in our think. Notice what he says, the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I might take it up again. And There is a plan to this laying down. And Jesus Christ coming back with full authority. He did not just die on the cross. He rose again. And all of God's people said, and uh, planned and fully stated ahead of time. I lay down my life that I might take it up again. Jesus knew exactly what was coming. He then says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. No one takes it from me. In other words, if you just misunderstood me and think that the Father's ripping me off and I have no choice in this and my will is not involved, you're missing the whole point. If you think that somebody else is stealing this from me, you miss the whole point. As you see someone drill a spike into my arm, don't miss it. I laid myself there. Right? This is a huge statement of Jesus Christ in charge of the event of going to the cross and in charge of the event of resurrection. Uh, He says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. It is his choice, his power, his authority, his right. He lays it down. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Jesus is like, you need to understand the name Jesus Christ, authority. You need to understand With me, there is power. You aren't getting it yet, but you're going to get it. With me, I rule over this universe. And I do have a choice of what happens with my life. And I am laying it down and I am picking it back up. Here's the deal. I am the king of the universe. And I am going to go to the cross for you. And I will rise again. There will be life in me. There will be hope in me. And it will last eternity. That's Jesus Christ. Him for me. And he is not some soft little victim who's being dragged against his will and we need to feel sorry for. Instead, we need to humbly worship the one who with all authority chose to set it down. He is the shepherd who grabbed the staff and ran to get in between us and sin and death. That is our God. And all of God's people said,
huge, man. And, uh, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. I love how he just keeps, he just keeps milling deep into this. And, and we better get this. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will work as one. And, and they truly grasp as one. And so the Father and his will sitting over, he is sovereign over everything. And he is reigning and ruling over everything. And so he's like, I just want to be clear now. When I say I have authority, I will sit under the authority finally and ultimately of God the Father. And there are three persons and there is one God. And there is this absolutely awesome unity going on in the midst of Christ also expressing now his unique role in all of this. And uh, truly, you could spend some months on this little passage and just keep digging into how does this work and what does that mean and, and in what way. And, but here's the depth of it, the simplicity of it at the same time. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are one. Everybody give me the universal sign for one. This is our God. This is our God. And they will work together. And God the Father brings the command and God the Son brings the obedience and they are one. And God the Father is like, we should be reaching out to save. And God the Son is like, and I'm in on that and I'm willing to be that one. They are one and the same. And they've got a passion together to run after and make much of him. And, uh, this charge I have received from my Father Jesus Christ says, you will know this. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And there's a massive sacrifice going on in the midst to make that happen. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And man, what a privilege we have to get to know him. The one who has gone to the cross for me, the one who has risen for me. Um, so uh, this past week's been a big week in our home. And... Uh, my daughter Alyssa uh, graduates this year, and uh, so that's a big deal. She's our second daughter and our uh, last daughter graduating through, and uh, we're excited for that. So we got Megan, who's a sophomore in college, and Alyssa, who is now a senior in high school. And uh, being graduation, that means uh, prom is up, and so it was time to go to prom here. So she decided to go to prom. She actually ended up, she won't want me saying this, so don't tell her that I told you this, but she got uh, voted onto prom court. Yes, so she was on prom court yesterday, and uh, truly, if you walk up to her and you're like, so I hear you were on prom court, she'll melt, okay? So uh, she was on prom court, she was really, so why are you telling us? I don't know, because that's what I do as a dad, I, I don't know. Um, so she was excited about it for about a minute and a half, and then she's like, oh man, that means we have to stay longer, and uh, she wasn't thoroughly thrilled about it, but excited about the opportunity of what it meant to be a part of it all. I'll just tell you this, as we saw her going through getting ready for this week, and finishing up some papers for classes and getting prepped for this prom uh, thing on, on Saturday night. Um, so this is the parent moment where you start looking at her and you remember back when she was like a year and a half old, two years old. And uh, she talked at a young age. And uh, she was a very verbal talker at a, at a young age. And she was, you know, the, she was sitting on the bed one time. I'm just, I'm going to get myself in so much trouble. <laughs> so here we go. So uh, I'm rolling all this just ad hoc right now, so here we go. So I walked in, uh, she's about two years old, and I walked up to her, and I was just going to give her a great big hug and a kiss, and, uh, and she goes, 
I'm not kidding. She, held her, she holds her finger up. Two years old. No kisses. <laughs> and, uh, and that's still kind of going on. So as we just walk through, just, man, we're so proud of her and so amazed with what God's doing and just so in awe of, of the depth of what we know of her strengths, the depth of what we know of her weaknesses, and we long to see what God's going to do in her life as she continues to grow. And, um, and that doesn't even begin to compare with God's passion for knowing you. The depth of how he wants to know you. The depth of how he wants to go after being a part of your life and celebrating with you all that's going on. I'm just telling you, God's got amazing, amazing plans for knowing you deeply. Are you in? Are you willing to have the good shepherd just race to protect you, to lavish on you, to see you learn and grow and have him smile as he watches you take on this life and grow. Man, he is calling you to something so much bigger than your little wants and desires. Everybody say, so much bigger. So much bigger. He is calling you to lay down your suke that you might have zoe with him. He is calling you to know him deeply and have it last for all eternity. Life with your God. Are you in? And let Jesus Christ rock your world as king of the universe, as God almighty, as the good shepherd, as the one who has gone to the cross, your savior. And all of God's people said, Jesus Christ, man, he is our good shepherd. He lays down his life and uh, he seeks to have a personal relationship with us. And now number three. Number three here. Choose. Choose your side of the fence. Are you with Jesus or against him? Choose your side of the fence. Are you with Jesus or against him? Please hear me. Some of you in the room right now, you're like, I think I'm more against. And please hear me as we walk through these last couple of verses, all right? Check it out. It says, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Jesus shares, people confused. Have you noticed that? That's just kind of the way it plays out. Jesus shares and they're like, I don't get it. That's because they keep coming and wanting it to go the way they want it to go. And then he's sharing more of the way it actually is. And so Jesus shares and there is division among them. They are deeply confused. Many of them said, he has a demon. and He's insane. Why would we listen to him? They're listening to him talk, and they're like, I can't put it into words. I'm just telling you, the boy has cracked his nut. I'm just telling you, he's insane. 
He, he has no practical logic whatsoever. The words he says, they make no sense. I'm telling you, demonized. Most likely some outside being is pressing on his very soul and it's causing him to think in a very whacked way. That's the take from standing in the presence of Jesus Christ these people had. Sadly, how often is that us? Where we read who he is or we see who he is or we hear who he is and we're like, yeah, you're not getting what's going on here, Jesus. God, I'm laying out to you a pretty big problem and you're missing it. You're not understanding what I'm struggling with and how often is this us as we struggle? And uh, he has a demon, he's insane, why would we listen to him? But others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. I don't know, man, I'm not going with that demon thing. And uh, oh, really? What's your proof that he's not demon-possessed? Because that's some pretty whack talk right there. What's his demon-possessed proof that he's not? What do you got, man? Oh, well, I got this. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That's their example. Notice they went to experiential proof. By the way, it's in chapter 9. It's right before the chapter we're in. Go right back to chapter 9 and take a look. And it's a a whole story there about a blind man getting his sight. And as the Pharisees are talking to him, they're like, who gave you this sight? And he was like, actually, I'm really not even sure. That's where it starts out. And then he walks his way through. Oh, it ends up being this man. And are you saying it's him? And he's like, how could, they have, how could he have given you sight? And their whole thing is like, we can't believe this. And he's like, I don't know. I'm just telling you. Couldn't see. Now I see. And was it having an impact on the crowd? Yes. And some of them sitting there are like, no, no, no. It can't be a demon. Because if Christ were demonized, where is the miracle authority and power to heal the blind? May we know Jesus Christ as that God. I'm telling you all too often, we try to know him not through experience, but just through intellect. You're not going far enough. Lord Jesus, reveal to me your greatness. May I experience all that you are. May I see you as my good shepherd with all authority. May I see you as the king in charge. I'm ready to taste an experience of your greatness. Man, he may rock your world in some very subtle private way. He may reveal to you something about you you have been wrestling with for so long and it's time to be set down. Is there a sin that has you so entangled? It is time to stop wrestling with it and calling it life on this side and say, I'm ready to see you heal this. I'm ready to see you do something in my life that I cannot do. I am ready for you and all of your authority to take over in my life. Taste and see that he is good. And all of God's people said, it will rock your world. Jesus Christ, he is the good shepherd. He wants to know you deeply. He has all authority and power. Man, be done with this wrestle of sin and self and on with Jesus Christ getting the glory. That's where we need to go. He is our king. He has it all. May we trust in him. Let's pray.